0: Everybody and welcome to another episode. In this episode, we're going to talk about virtualization. I'm Mark Clark. I'm from South Africa, and I'm an open source developer and solution architect. Yeah, the work I do is basically involves using open source components to build to build solutions, and also do a lot of coding in Java and PHP to glue the the solutions together.
1: All right, and uh, my name is Darlene Parker, and I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I work with a Linux-based development company, and my role is to work with people around the world to integrate open-source solutions into various verticals such as schools, government,
0: business, and so on. Okay, how's the weather in Canada today, Donnie?
1: Well, it was so beautiful over the weekend, Mark. And now, yeah, it's it's springtime in Alberta, and and mm-hmm. that means it can be... Uh, 18 above one day and uh, snow the next. So today's a little overcast. <laughs> today's a little overcast, but I'm sure glad we're finished with our um, our 40 below, and you guys have had 40 above. So
0: <laughs> yeah, it's been Easter weekend this weekend, yeah. So it's been the weather's actually quite nice. Yeah, it's getting to autumn yeah, yeah It gets a bit cold and, and miserable. Everything dazzle. Yeah, it only gets to as low as zero degrees, which we consider pretty cold over here. <laughs> But yeah, so you guys are getting summer and spring there, and we going into our winter this side.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. So when I when I plan my trip there, I, I I'm going to come. Actually, I have to delay my trip a little bit. So I'm right. going to come uh, the middle of July, August. I told I was told it's still not too hot. So 25, 30 degrees, I can live with that.
0: Yeah, no, that's midwinter. Yeah, it's a bit miserable, cold. <laughs> <laughs> It gets you about zero sometimes, you know, in, in the in the morning. And so that's why you don't want get out of bed. <laughs>
1: okay, but right. today
0: we're going to talk about virtualization. So first, let's consider uh, what, what is virtualization.
1: All right, well, in my my viewpoint, it's where you can utilize resources of your PC processor and, and your server processor, where you can uh, allow multiple applications in. Operating systems to coexist, and it's um, you know, and it really uh, it reduces your power, your cooling, and space requirements on your server room. How do you see it, Mark?
0: Yeah, virtualization, as you say, it enables you to run multiple OSs of one um, piece of iron, as they say, or base metal. Um, so what you can do is you can have two or three um, server operating systems running off of the same machine, uh, and, it look, and the machine looks as if it's. You know, it's service, serving those three operating systems all at the same time. Obviously, it's doing um, multitasking and time splicing at, at the processor level, but it enables you to essentially install three separate operating systems, all, uh, all three, or, or however many you want, actually, um, and it's all self-contained. So, so the operating system thinks it's actually running on, on real hardware, when it's not, it's actually running on virtualized um, hardware. I mean, that In a nutshell, is, is how I understand, um, virtualization.
1: Right, and you know, and with the new dual core and quad core uh, platforms that we have now, you're able to run, you know, like you say, the three or four OSs on there without any problems. And as well, I know that we use uh, the virtualization for our development of our software and testing the applications, so that they can be deployed on a much uh, faster basis with a high degree of confidence.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's one of the the benefits of virtualization is that ability to take images of your of your environments, and it's quite nice that you're saying for, for development, because you can take snapshots of your production environment and use it to refresh your dev environments, so and now you don't have that problem you traditionally had in the past of trying to sync dev and production environments. You know, So you always have some application, mm-hmm. some bug that only manifests itself in production, and you can never get it to manifest itself in dev, no matter how hard you try, now nah, now nah, it's a lot easier, because you can just snapshot the, the production environment and move it over to dev. So it's got definitely got right. advantages in that. I mean, the other advantages of of virtualization, as you touched on, include things like server consolidation. Uh, So there's an immediate cost saving there in terms of, you know, having 10 servers. Now you've got one with 10 machines running on top of it. You know, what what I do find bizarre is a few years ago, I remember when we did some work for for the banks, you know, they would always buy these machines which are way over-specced. You know, like they'll get, like, some small... Web server thing for some internal department, and they have four gigs of RAM. You, think, you know, the thing only needs a, you know, about a gig of RAM, and or be like a quad core, a quad processor box or four way box. And that's overkill. And now suddenly, you know, all of the the vendors and everybody's turn around and saying, "Oh, you know, you Oxo got all this spare capacity in your data center, all this underutilized capacity." And You kind of wonder, well, you know, who's responsible for that? Because <laughs> I sold them all this hardware in the first place. But yeah, you know, I think this is realization now that a lot of the resource underutilized in the data center, and better use can be made of it by consolidating it. So instead of having three machines that are only using 30% of the of the resources, you don't have one machine that's using, you know, up to 90% of the resources. So there's a much there's a cost savings there, and not only is there cost savings in terms of, um, you know, not having to maintain 10 different boxes and 10 different pieces of hardware that can fail, there's also much lower power consumption, which is, uh, you know, a big issue these days. Everybody's looking for more environmentally friendly methods of of um, carrying on business, especially uh, in most of the world is is now an energy crisis. Like in South Africa, for example, uh, we're running out of power reserve margin in the power stations because of lack of planning. So all these things are issues that people – why people are looking at virtualization.
1: Right, and along with the power, so having ten less or nine less servers running as well, you're not cooling that server room for nine nine more servers as well because that's always a, a big power draw.
0: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, South Africa, you know, South Africa had some of the cheapest power in the world uh, for the last 10 years. And we all realize now, wow, because basically they weren't investing in infrastructure. So, I mean, South Africa, people have a very, what would you call it, lax attitude towards electricity, but it's having to change now. And and as you say, not only is is it power saving, um, because government jobs going to introduce penalties just now for heavy uses of, of electricity, but um, there's also all the savings in space in your, in your server room, uh, cooling, everything. So, yeah, it has a multiply effect on – and it's also, as well, like, now you only have one administrator that can look after one box as opposed to having, th- you know, two administrators look after, you know, ten boxes or something like that. So, all around, it's much more efficient and much more productive to to consider virtualization of your servers.
1: Right, And I also want to touch today, too, though, Mark, is that there are actually two types of virtualization, right? There's desktop virtualization – And the server virtualization, which we've been speaking about. Mm -hmm. So maybe today I can talk a little bit about the desktop uh, virtualization, and Mark, you can um, you can pick up on the server side of it for us.
0: Okay, great. Yeah.
1: All right. So I just want to say that you know, virtual desktop infrastructure, it takes the concept of the virtual machine and uses it to run multiple PC client instances. Most people think of thin clients when they they think of this. But there are numerous uh, products out on the market, both Linux and Windows-based, that allows each user to have their own unique environment. And you can customize them with different apps and settings without impacting the other users. And they're just, uh, you know, good for applications that were not multi-user friendly can be run in this environment as well. So Mark... Some of the uh, some of the versions so there's a couple of different ways to different approaches to that. There's some that have multiple OS's, they allow you to so like on my laptop I can run Vista and and Ubuntu. And so those are products like uh, VirtualBox, uh, VMware, Parallels, which is mostly on a Mac platform. And then you also have the true desktop virtualization products like the Linux-based ones such as Userful, or Windows-based products such as Expand. Mark, do you have anything to add to that?
0: Yeah, look, m- most of my experience is, is with virtualization on the server side. Um, the desktop mm-hmm. side is very limited for me. The only time I really use it on the, on the desktop side is when I'm trying out new Linux distributions to see how they work or if I want to try something which potentially can mess up my, my system, then I, will, um, then I will launch a virtual virtual machine for it. I typically use VirtualBox on Linux. Yes. Uh, VirtualBox is, is completely free and open source. I know Sun bought it and they changed the license. I think they open source to completely now, which is why I prefer it. Another firm favorite with Linux, of course, is VMware, um, desktop. Uh, I haven't really used VMware that much, mainly because of its proprietary nature. Um, you know, they just feel that once you start using it, eventually you'll get trapped in it and you have to start somewhere along the line they're going to turn around and ask you for licensing fees. But, um Right. My experience with, with the way you – know, there's definitely a difference in the way the, the desktop virtualization works as it, compared to like server virtualization because mm-hmm. desktop virtualization basically runs on top of your – the way I understand it, runs on top of the operating system. So you load your operating system, then you load the virtual environment which will launch your, your virtual machines. Um, you know, so the okay. hypervisor sits on, on top of the, the, the base operating system as it were or the, the, the virtual machine manager. Um, whereas with, a virt- with server de- machines, basically the, the hypervisor loads first, and then the then the host operating system um, loads, and then the guest operating system run on top of that. So there's a, there's a slight difference um, in how they work. Uh, one of the things I do right. find is that um, in my experience, you know, when I hear a lot of people talking about desktop virtualization they, they say how fast it is and how snappy, uh, and maybe i just got underpowered machines and I don't buy beefy enough machines, but I normally find that you know, there's a definite slowdown in the in the desktop environment that you're working in uh, when you virtualize the machines, the desktops there. So, you know, to me, it's not practical to work in in a virtual desktop constantly. You know, as a, as an environment, you want to try and test some various things. That's okay, but um, personally, I, I I don't find it that that snappy. But as I say, maybe it's just because typically the machines are yeah, South Africa. They only have like one gig of memory and yeah, you know, the entry-level processes. Uh, maybe overseas. Right. <laughs> we hear a lot more of these reports some people can afford, uh, you know, more beefier yeah. hardware.
1: Right. Okay. Well, Mark. So my side of that is that, so of course, uh, you know. We want people to try these on things that are dual core, quad core, and if you're only doing one or two users, I mean, you could get away with a Pentium D or something, right? Mm-hmm. But for us, we've. Um, my suggestion is like with the multi OSs. I'm just gonna give a real life example what what I use it for. So I had a new salesperson who needed to learn some Linux, mm-hmm. but uh, she had a she has a Vista uh, Vista laptop, and that's what she's familiar with, and she was you know. But I needed to train her, so I loaded on. Virtual box for her, so I could let, uh, have Ubuntu running, so she could actually play with it and, and learn a little bit about what what she had to talk about to people. And then on the on the desktop virtualization side, you're right, it does load on top of the OS and expands it from there. And and yeah, this is where you need that higher processor. Even myself, when I loaded a virtual box on a, a, this over the weekend, I took the highest you know the best quad processor we had in the building <laughs> to to load it on cuz i knew that the uh, the windows would would drag it down and also i had uh four I had four stations running on it with the multiple oss but what i wanted to say though is that the same thing we talked about on the server side applies on the desktop side so with the green computing with the reduction in power draw so instead of 10 desktop PCs you only have one like say for example instead of you know you have 10 eliminate nine out of that mix, you're not cooling down the office or the classroom or the computer lab where all these things are running, and they tend to be left running. I don't know about in South Africa, but in, in North America school labs are left running 24-7, and I heard that th- that's also the case in the UK, uh, because they're really moving towards a zero carbon footprints for their schools there.
0: I was going to say, I mean in South Africa, computers are left on 24-7, but that's uh, you know, that's because in the early days of computing, everyone was told it's better to leave your machine running than to turn it on and off every every morning, or turn it off in the evenings and turn it on in the morning because of the power surge could damage the machine. So it's sort of like a bit of a cultural thing now. It would just leave the machines on because it's they've been told that it's, it's the best thing to do.
1: Okay, so anyway, so that's my input on the, on the desktop side, just that uh, it, you're just utilizing because – uh, you know, if you look at, uh, like you say, the bank. You used the example of the bank that bought, you know, the way way too much hardware for what they really needed. Uh, and in here, I know here in North America, people are sold these. Um, I call them SUV computers that they'll never use. They'll ne- they'll never use the full capacity of those computers. Right? The guy at the at the at the computer store will sell them the moon and <laughs> and and so. What we believe is that the you know organizations can actually utilize the full capacity of those computers by layering on top of these virtualization programs.
0: Yeah, look, there's there's many advantages in hardware. It's 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 you know you can't you can't overemphasize the advantages that it has virtualization for usage of your hardware. Um, You know, it gives you the ability now to basically treat your hardware like a resource pool that you can reallocate you know, almost at will to wherever you need the processing power. So, you know, the move happened a, a while ago with disks in terms of SAN, disks, and, you know, central, central disk storage. Now it's happening with CPUs and memory. Um, and you can s- allocate, you know, resources to your applications by just clicking a few buttons. So this is also obviously in the predominantly in the, in the, in the server environment where you can just dynamically... Allocate resources to your to your machines. It's you know, so a typical um, scenario that people use is like a machine that's a process that runs during the day. Like let's say you're at the bank and um, you know you have your online web server pro- processing all the transactions. But in the evenings, another machine has to start up and you know it takes over most of the resources and starts doing its batch processing. Now you can have one machine that's busy 24 hours a day, rather than having two machines that are busy half the time. So that's what's for me. we the most exciting prospects with virt- server virtualization actually actually allow. It is that ability to live migrate your your servers from one one machine to the next. You know, and, and that also has the advantage of hardware fails, it doesn't mean that your server goes down. You can live migrate it to another to another machine, it'll take over um the other virtual machine will take over the processing of of that application. And so you have a lot more redundancy and a lot more flexibility with the applications and how you deploy it. That's one of the, the advantages on the on the on the server side. And one of the things you did talk about was running Windows um, as a guest OS on top of Linux, because me I was explain there's a couple of there's full virtualization, which was the first virtualization which which came out, which basically you know emulated the entire virtualized the entire hardware stack, and that was extremely slow. So you had QME, and um, it was one of the first ones that came out, and VMware as well did it, um, but the, you would have like you know it really just a powerful machine to L to process that guest OS at any sort of reasonable speed. Um, and then what happened was called para-virtualization. What para-virtualization does, it, it, needs, it needs the kernel of the guest OS to be aware that it is running in a virtual machine. And therefore, it's got special APIs that it talks to the to the host OS or the hypervisor by those, um, by those APIs. So essentially what it does is it doesn't virtualize all of the hardware. It only virtualizes some of it. And this you know gives a great speed improvement to virtualization. So the, you know, when I first became aware of, of the sort of the explosion in virtualization was when they started talking about Xen um, and Linux, and Xen was a para-virtualized virtual machine, so, or hypervisor. And, you know, and then you could see, definitely, you could, you could run servers, you know, three servers in one machine, and they were quite snappy and, and, and responsive. However, you couldn't run Windows, guests guess, because Windows, you'd have to modify the, the kernel, so it became aware that it was running in a virtualized environment. And, of course, because Windows is not open source, you can't do that. Whereas with Linux, you could. And of course, it wasn't in Microsoft's interest to <laughs> to allow people to <laughs> to do that. Right. But then what happened is the hardware manufacturers, Intel and uh, and AMD, basically introduced hardware switches or hard- in the CPUs they they, they introduced um, some hardware change which enabled you to run Windows in a in a guest environment Windows is actually unaware that it's in a guest environment. So I'm not, I'm not all familiar with the with the whole technology around it. I know it's got to do with the ring zero, which is a protected mode um, that's running in the kernel, and how the, the kernel knows it's in ring zero and all this kind of stuff. But essentially, it fools the guest into believing that it's running securely in, in ring zero. So yeah, so now that you have that, you have the what's called hardware-assisted virtualization. So if anybody's buying CPUs and they want to you know, they want to use use They want to make sure they get the best speed out of it. Just look and see I can't remember exactly the extensions um, that Intel and AMD CPUs must support to to provide this. But yeah, you must just make sure that you're buying processors with those with those extensions. And in fact, I mean most of the modern processors, I think all of the modern processes have those extensions by default these days.
1: Yeah, I have some notes here. It says Intel V T or AMD V, so maybe those are the uh, the X eighty six processors that they have this virtualization done for.
0: Yeah, normally you can go like, you can just less proc CPU info, and then you'll see it there. Uh, and you've got to look for those those strings that you that you mentioned, and then you'll know if your CPU supports it or not. Okay, so one of the things I'd like to talk about quickly is give a quick overview of the virtualization technologies that are available on Linux. Um, I've had experience with Xen, um, Hypervisor, and then also KVM uh, kernel module. Xen was the first uh, hypervisor that I started using on, on Linux, that was back in the days when you had to compile it and install it from scratch and all of that kind of stuff. Now it is a lot easier. Most, most distributions have a Zen enabled kernel already available so you can just app get it or yum install it and that kind of stuff and it's, it's there and it's running so Zen you know Zen was the one that sort of brought it to the full in the Linux world although there was a whole history behind it as you as you mentioned Arlene, before that and uh, I must say Zen I found quite usable easy to use easy to set up and you managed everything from the command line and you know like obviously it was in small small installations and it was very stable and you know delivered on what it what it said it did then it wasn't officially included in the, in the Linux kernel of course um, and eventually the Linux included a KVM with the kernel, kernel virtual machine, which essentially is a kernel that runs on top of, 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 Linux, or runs in Linux. Um, you know, I'm not that much of a, of a kernel developer or knowledgeable in that area at all, but the way I understand it, KVM basically, with Zen, would load the hypervisor first, and then it would load the Linux kernel on top of that, what is called DOM0, or the host operating system. So essentially the hypervisor would have control of the whole, of the actual hardware. Whereas with KVM essentially Linux loads and then it loads the virtual machine. Or the hypervisor is a module in the Linux kernel, so it's much more the Linux kernel is in control rather than the rather than the hypervisor in control. Now, I've used KVM as well. Um, you know, and both of them are as much of a less, they, they basically both work. One of the differences is that KVM um, doesn't support para-virtualization So if you want to, you can't run uh, if you have a if you have a CPU it doesn't support the, those extensions that we talked about that enable you to run unmodified Windows OSs as guests, uh, you, you can't run Windows in it because it, it requires that those that, that CPUs, whereas Zen allows you to use all the hardware where you can then virtualize Windows and other Linux operating systems. So, yeah, as I said, much of a muchness. It seems that, you know, the distributions are all picking and choosing which, which virtual machine they're going to support. So it looks like, uh, SUSE is, is, is sort of stacking up behind um, Zen. Red Hat was using Zen, but then Zen got bought up by Citrix, and now they're moving more towards KVM. And so yeah, that's the that's my experience with the server side virtual machines. I haven't used VMWare at all. And I haven't used Parallels, or I'm not even sure if Parallels is a server virtualization environment or just a desktop virtualization environment.
1: Okay, Mark, so do we want to talk about maybe some of the pros and cons that go with virtualization?
0: Yeah, okay, I think we a lot of the, the pros of virtualization already, but on the con side, networking, you know, because now you're working in a virtual environment and you have virtual network cards, all of these um, different virtual machines, sometimes that can become quite complex. And one of the... Well, the key things in is how you handle routing and your firewalling and your, you know, like let's say you've got IP set up, how you handle that to make sure that you route the packets appropriately. So one of the issues, a lot of the vendors don't really have a proper response to it, is around security around virtual machines. Because now if you have, like your DOM, let's say your your host operating system gets hacked, your all your guest operating systems are basically vulnerable then because that obviously has special access to the to the guest operating systems. And also, you know, you, you can imagine these nightmare scenarios where you've got a huge data center with virtual machines just being migrated from, you know, because the machine is no longer stuck on a particular piece of hardware. Um, somebody just launch a, a a fake virtual machine or, or hack a virtual machine that like gets migrated around the data center, and it'll be almost impossible to stop if they if they're smart enough in handling it. I think at this point, where what's stopping a lot of you know things from happening is that there's still new technologies and no one's really. Up to speed with all of its vulnerabilities mm-hmm. and um, issues at the moment, but I'm sure we'll see that coming through. And obviously, there will be a response from the security side and how to deal with that as well. But I think it's a it's a young technology, and we still yet to see the you know the, the how we're going to deal with that kind of scenario. And also, maybe it's not an issue. You know, I remember I went to a Novell Microsoft Interop uh, meeting. You know, and the, one of the guys there asked the the Microsoft guy. So, you know, what about security on your virtual machines? You know, and and the chap said, No, you know, it's a very small kernel, it's really pared down and it's basically it's unhackable, you know. And uh the whole room burst out laughing, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I wouldn't I, run Windows as my as my hypervisor. Uh, I think then you're asking for yes. trouble, so.
1: right. But actually it's funny that you would say that it's a young technology because actually as I was reading and preparing for today. Um, IBM had been working on virtualization for the last 40 years. Can you believe that? It just hasn't become mainstream. and uh, But it's been, it's been around in the background and building ever since then, and um, I think it's pretty cool. But to talk about some of the things that you mentioned uh, about the cons here, uh, one is I think that um, make sure that your staff, your technical staff understands the principles because you bring in new skills that are, you know, to a new environments. We want to make sure that people are there so for incident and problem management. As well, I think also, you know, because we have virtual servers, you know, we can control our physical servers in the room, you know, for, for sprawl. But as we're adding all these virtual servers, if too many people have their fingers in the pie and it's not managed well, you can actually have virtual server sprawl as well.
0: Yeah, you got to be careful that because you know, yeah, uh, you, 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 know, you get so excited when you start playing around with virtual machines that next minute you start launching a virtual machine for every application. <laughs> you know, right, and it exactly. Becomes, yeah, and then it becomes unmanageable, and then so the whole management side of it, I think, is where the really the the competitions going to heat up because that's where you need to know what's running, how you shut it down clearly, can you decommission. So the whole process, let's say when you had a physical thing of commissioning a machine, running it, maintaining it, and decommissioning it. You know, because of the physical machine, it was you know, certain processes and policies in place to do that. And I think uh, management these days an in IT infrastructure, you make sure that with the virtual machines are still maintain those same policies and principles in place, you know, commissioning and decommissioning machine. Because just quickly, one of the benefits, obviously, of virtualization is the ability to almost instantaneously provision uh, service for for like business units and and larger corporates. I mean, typically in the past, if you were running a project in the bank and you said, okay, let's go to infrastructure and get a machine, you know, then oh well, we have to order the machine from IBM and it arrives two weeks later. Then they have to put the operating system on it and you know that takes another week before the machine's available to be used. Now with virtualization, you can provision these machines because you can have templates for, for the machines and their setups and everything. They can be v- provisioned within minutes. Um, so that's an advantage there, but it's also a danger, as you say, about, uh, you know, virtual machine sprawl, where you just have these yep. these rogue machines running that no one knows about.
1: And the other thing I want to talk about too, Mark, was uh, it's kind of a pro and it's kind of a con all at the same time. So at the telco that I worked at, we actually used a virtual machine for a legacy application that we had that was DOS-based. But as you replace your, as you replace your equipment, we weren't able to find – a server that would run that program we had to run it we had to run it virtually because we hadn't they had not designed a program to replace it yet for that application so that that's a that's a pro right you can run mm-hmm. some legacy programs uh, on a virtual side but the con was it comes back to a single point of failure when you have multiple <laughs> applications running virtually on one server and uh, I know that uh, one day our server room um, actually overheated uh, and it affected half the country, but the security guard uh, just didn't—he didn't, didn't reckon—he didn't realize the alarm was going off, that the heat was building in the server room, so everything shut down. And uh, and you would think we had some redundancy built, but uh, I guess we can go into that another day. <laughs> How mm-hmm. about building redundancy into your systems? But uh, it brought down our whole data center for half a day, and it was uh, that—you know—that's that's pretty serious when you're talking about a national telecom.
0: Yeah, I've heard this because uh, a lot of the infrastructure guys, I think, you know, they like to, they just look at the hardware side, so they like all this redundancy and backups for, for hardware failures, and virtu- and they, you know, to a degree they oppose virtualization because they see it as now you've got a single point of failure with all these machines running on it. But, I mean, if you architect, okay, obviously if you've got, depending on the amount of money you've got, but let's say you know, you're a bank, you can architect your solution in such a way that you've got a sand disks I mean obviously a SAN disk is all of that hardcore redundancy and snapshotting and everything that can happen there. Um mm-hmm. and then you have your your machine. So you know, in fact you got you've got a lot of redundancy now because essentially instead of having redundancy all in let's say each machine had to be set up to be redundant. You can just set up essentially one you know, the, the discs the one SAN server to be redundant and have all of the latest and greatest technology there. And then in terms of the, the CPUs and the and the um memory and stuff, well, now you've got redundancy because you can just migrate your virtual machines. So, you know, when you've got the complex um, management infrastructure for your virtual machines, it will detect, it almost becomes like automatic clustering and failover, all of those good things. So it automatically detect that the CPU is failing on the one box. It will migrate the, the machines from the one server to the next. So all of, all of those good things. So I, I think, you know, the potential even there for, for uptime and uh, high availability, all of that with, with virtualization Really exceed what's currently available. You know, once it's architecture right, but um, I think that's that's the key thing. And you know, people have to learn lessons there, how that's all done, how to architect it in such a way that you do have that, that redundancy.
1: And we were going to talk a little bit about networking. How come you know that it can be kind of tricky with virtual machines? Is that correct?
0: Yeah, because the virtual machines uh, can be tricky in the sense that. You obviously, only got one physical um, Ethernet card, or well, it can be more. But let's say in theory, you've got one Ethernet card that's connected to the network, and all these virtual machines are talking through that. So then, you know, each of the virtual machines need their own IPs, and you need to be able to route between the the host OS and the guest OSs. Um, and so, especially on the desktop side, and you often hear the complaint that people have difficulty accessing uh, the the shares on the virtual machine from the from the host OS and stuff like that because of the the difficulty there on networking. It is it is becoming easier, but it it is it is mm-hmm. quite complicated and you know, as I said earlier, especially around the firewall rules. Um, yeah, you one know, one of the approaches we take is we don't virtualize the, the firewall, we are in a physical box and we virtualize the servers behind the firewall. Some guys you get you know, they will actually virtualize a firewall and run their yeah, you know, typically what they call their D M Z zone uh, is virtual machines within the same box that's running the, the virtualized firewall. You know, for me that's so complicated all the rules and whatever's going on there that it's not worth the risk of of getting one rule wrong and then having your whole system compromised you know I'd rather stick with a dedicated firewall sitting on the you know the perimeter of your network and then your your servers and your DMZ, you know, they can be virtualized, but let the, let the, let the firewall handle all of the stuff in a normal manner. Um, so, yeah, so I think it's, it's, it's extremely complex around networking, um, and people have to learn how to use it. And maybe also the tools have to be developed to make it easier, and you might have to rethink the way we conceptualize, you know, firewalls and rules around networking these days, uh, you know, because in the past it was tied to a physical machine, you know. You would also say, mm-hmm. okay, I want to block this particular machine and access, and you you knew it was one machine. It was the machine sitting on the rack five, you know, row two kind of thing. Uh, So it was easier to do. Now this machine can be sitting anywhere in your network. So there are complexity and issues around that. Look, I'm not a a big networking guy, so, you know, um, maybe some people out there know more about networking. It's, It's much more easier than it seems. But, you know, I could quite easily handle physical networking when machines were sitting on their own their own net, on their own dedicated hardware now it's a lot more complicated and the firewall rules what's in what's going out um, you know, over what virtual interface all that's a lot more complicated than it used to be now I think that's the biggest challenge actually is, is with virtualization will be around security and, and the whole networking side of it
1: and, it, and it, it ties back again to what I said about you know proper training and, and getting the knowledge developing. Your existing skills and competence, so that you can enhance your systems with with virtualization. Anything else you want to share, Mark?
0: Yeah, just look, yeah, one of the interesting things happening with virtualization is that it's you know all these virtualization technologies that out there is basically a commodity. You know that's thanks to open source. Otherwise, we'd be paying you know hundreds of thousands of rands or dollars um, just to get to get access to this. But where you, everybody's has forced basically to give the virtualization technology away for free, and um, from Microsoft to VMware. Um, and I think what you see happening is, is really where the competition's going to heat up between the vendors is around the management tools, especially for these data centers. You know, if you've got a small office with one or two, with one server that's virtualized, it's not an issue. But if you've got a massive data center with, you know, with thousands of virtual machines, you need a tool to help you manage provisioning those machines, monitoring them, taking them down, decommissioning them, and migrating them if there's any issues, that kind of stuff. You know, and that's where I see a heating up So um, for example, Novell has got their Plate Spin product out, which they bought recently, and I think that's going to give them quite a big competitive advantage. Now, I know also Red Hat's bought out their, their virtualization management software as well. And, and so, what you find happening is the key, the key thing is that everybody, and this is where the advantage for the open source community lies, is that you have to be agnostic now in terms of what operating system you're dealing with. And that's great because open source has always been agnostic. You know, we we, we feel interoperate with any other operating system. And that's where Microsoft is a bit challenged now because now they have to. You know, if they're going to do virtualization, they have to allow you to run Linux on top of on top of Windows. Um, Who would want to do that? I'm not quite sure. But you know, that's one of the <laughs> things they have to allow and, and how you interoperate with with Linux. I think it's also part of the reason why they, you know, with the whole Novella agreement as well, is because they realise now the customers demanding is interoperability. And if they fight it, they're just going to well, they're going to fight as long as they can. But in the end, they know they can't they can't resist it. They have to they have to basically learn to cooperate with these other operating systems out there. So, yeah, so I, I can't see Microsoft's virtualization technology um, taking off because of its, its history of security and its lack of reliability. You know, So I think it's a great advantage for Linux to actually move into the space and take a virtualization and run the Windows OS where it's necessary as guest machines in, in, the, in the operating in the Linux hypervisor.
1: Right. Yeah, I agree with you on that, Mark.
0: Basically, all the virtualization technology is, is freely available in all of the operating systems. So the competition is really around managing of the of the virtual and machines. Uh, and what you see happening on Linux, for example, uh, Radiator brought out LibVirt, which is quite nice. It's an APR, which because all these virtual machines have their own APIs, Of course, you want to manage it from the application. What LibVirt does, it creates an abstraction layer across those various APIs. So you, if you program, you can program to... To libvirt API to control the the various virtual machines, like reallocate memory, um, start and stop the virtual machines, you know, get you get resource usage um, stats from the virtual machines using libvirt, and that's one of the core libraries that's going to be used in building the uh, the sort of technologies around the management tools around around virtualization. And another another um, thing around virtualization is was what's called containers. That seems to be the next the next phase of, of virtualization. container well, containers are much lighter weight form of virtualizing your machines. So for example, it'll mainly be in like Linux where you're virtualizing a Linux machine. Um, but it's very really lightweight and, and it's much easier to, to manage and maintain. Um, so for example one of the technology that's currently using uh, containers is, is, is OpenVZ. Uh, OpenVZ I haven't used it myself but it's something that I want to I've heard a lot of lot of talk about and I want to try. Um, because essentially it allows you to do live migrations of, of your virtual machines without the need for a central um, disk back-end, you know, because most of these machines, when they say, hey, we are going to show you a live migration of the machine, it, it works because there's a, there's, a, there's a centralized disk at the back of, the, of those machines. But OpenVZ doesn't require that. So that's one thing that which intrigues me, especially for, you know, like smaller business, smaller companies where you don't have the money to go and buy a big expensive SAN solution. Um, to have to have centralized disk at the back end there. And so yeah, containers apparently will be coming in the later you know, years to come will be in the Linux kernel as well. Um yeah, and I think it's just another form of virtualization which might be a little bit simpler to use and, and manage than, than the current virtualizations that we have.
1: Alright well Mark I just wanted to add my final comment in that uh, you know I think virtualization is rapidly becoming adopted only because as you previously mentioned I think it's so cost-effective and with the uh, the crunch everyone is feeling uh, budget crunches around the world that um, you know to be able to reduce again your hardware costs your power costs uh, you know the, the infrastructure costs and behind all of that is a uh, very attractive, and maybe that's why this, maybe that's why it's been dormant for 40 years, and now it's finally coming to the forefront. I,
0: th- I think it's also been dormant, you know, in a CPUs now have reached that level of speed uh, where it's actually quite mm-hmm. easy to. You know, you don't notice a big degradation in performance when you when you start up the virtual machines now potentially, whereas years ago maybe the hardware just wasn't fast enough to handle it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, you know, and I also had touched on that with the uh, shared desktops. And I feel that, uh, in 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 my experience anyway, that you, each user wouldn't even know that they were actually sharing a machine. I know that we've had some issues with uh, flash sites, you know, flash intensive games and and so on. But uh, generally, for the ordinary user, there's really not a degradation
0: in, in their uh, performance. Oh, uh, Especially for desktop virtualization, you know, most people don't use a tenth of their machines they've got it anymore, and that's especially true now that you know a lot of the applications have moved to the web. Uh, whereas before it was this, mm-hmm. where you had a client-server environment where you had these bloated softwares like Microsoft Office that would run on the on the client machines. You know, you needed quite a potentially powerful desktop to run it. But now a lot of the applications are yeah, it's almost moving back to the the mainframe days are running on the central server where all the power is sitting. So it also reduced the need for all of that excess power on on the desktops.
1: Right, and as we're moving into things like cloud computing and you know things like Google Docs and and all those kind of applications, you're right. We don't need to load anything and have it natively on our desktops anymore.
0: And another advantage, which you know you you briefly mentioned about you're talking about your dev environment running in a virtual machine. An advantage of that. You know, The advantages of virtualization well, include the ability to snapshot your and back up your entire environment, uh, your production or your dev environment you know, in a last state because obviously just using disk backend technologies allows you to take disk snapshots. And that's what's what's great about one of the advantages of, of virtualization is the ability to do that, the ability to quickly and easily back up your entire um, operating system. And since it's running in a virtual environment it's quite easy to get up and running again, you don't have to go and find the specific hardware that it was running on. You know, typically, if you if you back up your machine and you try and reinstall, restore it on a machine that's got different different hardware, different RAID controllers, let's yeah, say, yeah. all that kind of stuff, it was it was difficult to do that. Now, because all of the hardware is essentially virtualized, um, you know, once you've got your virtual environment set up, um, you can quite easily restore a virtual machine. Um, and more and more, you're noticing as well that all the different server technologies, virtualization technologies out there, can read each other's disk images. Uh, so, especially between KVM and Zen, for example, KVM can run Zen images, um, or there's work on that. I'm not sure if it's out yet, but I know Red Hat was talking about it where they can run Zen or KVM images within within KVM, or the next release that's coming out. So, you know, that, that kind of stuff is really is, is, is very beneficial. I mean, you can take, essentially, now you can take a server home with you to test, or to, or to a different environment that you can test it in you know, without too much sleep or hassle to do that. And another thing we also see where virtualization is coming into its own is in terms of these virtual appliances. And if you're a company and you've got some product that you want people to download it and test it, uh, typically it was a bit of a mission because people have to download it. I'd have to install MySQL, then I'd have to install Apache, and deploy your web service, you know, uh, install your database schema, all of those things, which, you know, for a lot of people who just want to try it out, like business people just trying out the application, that was a challenge. Because, you know, you need quite a bit of knowledge to configure it. Now you can just provide a virtual image of your application. People can download that and run it and test your application. So it really was also quite good from a marketing point of view.
1: Yeah, because I know when I downloaded Joomla to start testing it, I had to do all of the things you were talking about. I had to configure my SQL and I had to do Apache. I had to do all these things. And, yeah, so it might be a little daunting for people to be to be doing that. All right. Well, I think that's about all I have to add, Mark.
0: Yeah, that's all. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that we've that we've missed or overlooked. It's quite a, a broad subject, and it's actually it's moving so fast that uh, I mean, I've last <laughs> sort of looked at virtualization probably oh probably about you know, six months ago, but it's moved a lot since then. So there's a lot happening in that space.
1: Yeah, sure is, and I'm sure that we'll be able to do another episode in six months from now, and things will change changed as well. Okay, I don't know if I have much more to add to this. I think it's been really uh, a good session today, and I hope that our listeners uh, got some good knowledge. And uh, we look forward to some comments on the episode. How about you, Mark?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, covers a uh, you know uh, a lot of what we want to talk about and in terms of the pros and cons of virtualization. You know why would somebody want to do it, um, and what is virtualization? And we covered the different different aspects there of hardware-assisted virtualization, paravirtualization, and full virtualization. Um, yeah, so I think that, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.